Hey everyone, this is Darren, a.k.a. Bombadil, and I just wanted to give a big shout-out and thank you to all of you, our loyal listeners and viewers, for tuning in, supporting us, and telling your friends about No Guts, No Galaxy. We've been doing this for three years now, and that's largely in part to your support and encouragement, which we really do appreciate. If you'd like to help support the show but don't have the funds available to donate directly, remember that if you plan on doing any online shopping this holiday season at Amazon.com, if you first click through the Amazon banner on our website at NoGutsNoGalaxy.net, It'll give us a little kickback without adding anything at all to your bill. It's a great way to support the show and allow us to continue creating a wide variety of free Battletech and MechWarrior content for your viewing and listening pleasure. Speaking of your listening pleasure, let's kick things off today with The Black Mad Cat, a Battletech Halloween audio story by George Duncan Fisher Ledoux. Happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you again and enjoy the show. Voices in My Head Productions presents The Black Mad Cat, a Battletech tribute to Edgar Allan Poe's classic tale. Written by D.G. Martin. Performed by George Ledoux. I am about to record a story. My story. Fully aware that to some it will sound impossible, and even that I am insane. However, I neither expect nor ask for your belief in my account. Only that you hear the tale and judge for yourselves if I have seen and done what by my senses I was led. I am to be executed tomorrow in front of a military tribunal. Having convicted me of my crimes and, through just court-martial, sentenced me to the death that I have earned. What I have done to deserve such punishment is, in my eyes... A necessary and tragic horror, through which a conspiracy of circumstance and fate have led me to the inevitable end. Perhaps, after I am gone, this account might provide some insight into what has happened and bring about a natural and scientific understanding of the unordinary events which I now recount. From my infancy, I was fascinated by the king of the battlefield, the Battlemech. So much was I captured by the colossal machines that my parents indulged my obsession in every way possible. Models, simulators, and even trips to Solaris 7 to see the grand championship matches, as all of these things were possible for my parents. And I never questioned if my tenacious appetite for battle mix promoted within them a sacrificial tendency that I unconsciously fed upon to nourish my needs. The best parts of my childhood I associate with Battlemix, and the shape my adult life would take was formed in those young years, as my knowledge and vivacious fixation upon the mechs directed the course that would lead me to where I now sit. I never married. Instead, being so inclined, I used my father's old military connections to secure a placement at a prestigious academy from which I graduated to become an officer. The greatest relief in my life was learning that I showed natural aptitude as a mech warrior and was able to realize my dream to pilot the behemoths into battle. I cared not for whom or for what, nor against whom or against what I fought, only that I did so from the cockpit of a battle mech. 
So single-minded was my lust for battle in the giant machines did I go through a bevy of them in my pursuit to find the perfect lumbering giant of war that was capable of keeping up with my vigorous pursuit of combat and carnage. A Clint, an assassin, a bushwhacker, a dervish, a warhammer, and even a mighty battlemaster all proved to be below the standards of excellence for which I sought in a battle mech. I had failed to find what I craved all my life, the perfect mech, until I salvaged the one, the black mad cat that I called Ares. Throughout my journey to find Ares, I had grown somewhat disillusioned with the concept of war, and my commission now weighed upon me like a burden. My relationship with Ares reinvigorated my childlike eagerness to charge into battle, but it could do little to assuage my growing discontent with those around me when I was not in the cockpit. My habits, even with the comfort of Ares at arm's reach, turned destructive, and my consumption of alcohol, once a controlled activity, scaled up concurrent to my mistreatment of those under my command. I only allowed one tech officer, Roland, to work on Ares. Nobody else's touch could I tolerate on my perfect machine of death and destruction, and those under my command suffered my mood swings, ill-tempered outbursts, and on even one occasion, a physical incident that resulted in my transfer to a new unit. Ares and Roland came with me. Of that, I made sure. But Ares was not immune to my ill temper forever, as I grew increasingly unable to tolerate the delays in the mech's targeting sensors, its missile pods unable to track and lock on as quickly as they once had, at least so my senses and memory reported. My new post was on a border world, and the frequency with which I took to the battlefield increased. All the while, my drinking and offensive temperament continued to fester, nothing and no one arose which could abate my near inexplicable descent into darkness and loneliness. Never did my discontent with Ares manifest until one day its missile pods failed to lock onto a target in time to fire before the target was lost behind a hill. Such was my rage and displeasure with Ares upon this act that I maneuvered my mech into a vulnerable position, laying bare the offending missile pod to the predations of enemy fire. There I waited for my enemy to notice my exposed pod, and my patience was soon rewarded as a savage attack stripped from Ares' torso the offending weapon installation. My discontent properly abated, I blacked out for the rest of the battle, and know not how I returned to my bunk that night. Upon the morning, Roland informed me that the damage done to Ares was not repairable with the parts available, and Ares would be forced to carry the scar of my wrath. I would like to say I was horrified by what I had done to my precious mech, but any sense of remorse I should have experienced was quickly drowned by so much liquor. I have little to offer in the way of explanation for my actions. The perverseness of my deeds, though apparent to me at the time, did little to vex my conscience, and Roland began to voice his worry with my destructive and reckless actions. Never before had he said anything, and though my consideration for him was, comparative to my consideration for others, that I held him in somewhat high regard, 
I was nonetheless unable to acquiesce to his pleas for me to correct the change in my character. The alcohol was now my only comfort in this world, and Ares now looked down upon me with the eyes of judgment and trepidation, as if the mech somehow feared the next time upon which I would ascend to the cockpit. It was not long after that I was once again called into action, and having no choice but to pilot Ares into battle, I resumed my duties as a lance commander and proceeded to lose myself in the rampant destruction of war. So blind was my fury and so inebriated my spirit that I failed to notice the depletion of Ares' torso armor to the point that an engine breach was imminent. My realization of this egregious oversight, much in contrast to my want to live and fight again, was punctuated by an alarm heralding the impending doom of incoming missiles. In a moment of evil clarity, I saw how I could ease my pain at Ares' maiming and maintain my own selfish desire to drown the memories of my afflictions, readying myself to, for the first time in my life, eject from the cockpit of a battle mech. Indeed, this was a new and exciting experience, if not a terrifying one at that, for me to be leaving behind a battle mech to its fate and punch the button. Mere seconds later, through a haze and rush of explosive force and smoke induced by the propellant that sent me into the air, I surveyed that moment which I now knew I wanted above all others. Ares, below me in perfect detail, standing alone and abandoned, awaiting its inevitable fate, succumbed to the missiles that I had allowed to ravage it and crumple to the rocky ground. A heaping mess of mangled metal and broken glass. Shrapnel from the missile's impact explosions resulted in my unconsciousness and a brief convalescence, after which time I was ordered to report to the mech bays to see what new battle mech I would be assigned. My anticipation was nearly uncontrollable. The delicate balance of waiting until the proper time to discover what mech would free me from Ares' despicable memories and allow me, finally, to continue forwards made the wait an inexplicable torture. Fortune smiled upon me, and during my medical stay, I was able to bribe a member of the staff to provide me with a regular supply of bourbon, a kindness which I repaid by growing irritable and verbally abusive to all who would come into the reach of my voice as the length of my stay began to wear at my patience, and what very little bit was left of any good nature I once possessed. Upon my release and duty clearance, I rushed to the mech bay. I had long suspected that even my own eyes plotted to play tricks upon my soul, and the sight before me was proof positive of either that or that fate's sense of fairness is so tainted with irony and spite that I am, just as anyone, foolish to believe that there can be good in the world, in any world. Standing before me, at home, as if it belonged there, as if I had invited it into my house out of the cold rain and fed it a meal, stood a sight so familiar. I audibly screamed at the realization. So loud was my outburst that Roland had to come over to see what was the matter. He found me, cowed and cringed, unable to take my eyes from the awful and horrible sight which now transfixed my gaze. Asking if I was all right, Roland turned to the new battle mech and proudly smiled back at me. 
Poor Roland, I thought at the time. He did not know what he had done. For there, in the bay, stood a black mad cat. Roland swore to me that this new mad cat was not Ares. But as I think upon the incident now, I cannot find the strength in my soul to believe his assertion. So impossibly founded my disbelief might be. Ares had returned to me from the fiery pyres of death himself, returned to exact its revenge for abandoning it to such a wretched fate. My mind, unclear as to its purpose, only repeated a single thought. No such thing should be allowed to live. I know not if the thought was mine, my intent to convince myself into action which would ensure the final destruction of the Phoenix Risen Ares, or, as I stared up into the Mad Cat's cockpit, if I was somehow hearing the thoughts of the Risen Mech which had returned to life, only to see mine brought to proper end. Unwilling to wait for a time that the Mech would have me alone in its cockpit, I there made up my clouded mind to see an end to one of us that very day. Surveying what tools might be within my hand's reach, I easily found a plasma torch and seized it to my grasp. Roland, a look of confusion upon his brow, inquired as to my intentions, receiving as reply only that I would not allow Ares to see to my destruction. Moving towards the Mad Cat, I activated the torch and began the process of cutting into the foot armor, my goal being the eventual dismantling of the entire battle mech, piece by piece. It was the only sure way I would find the resolution of my torment and free myself from the bondage of now unwilling and unwanted companionship. Perhaps unable to comprehend the meaning of my actions, or even more that he was frozen in disbelief at my actions, Roland stood and watched for the few moments it took me to peel back a plate of armor. The loud crash sounding as the armor fell to the metal bay floor must have triggered something in Roland and spurred him into action. His protest, now verbal, accelerated into action as I ignored him and proceeded with my plan to sever the Myamur muscle cables in the Mad Cat's foot and strike a first blow at my now reviled tormentor. I had succeeded in cutting only a few strands when I felt upon my shoulder an insistent hand that spun me round to face Roland, his face twisted in abject disbelief and, now that I recall it fully, horror. That was what I had become. I care not to imagine the look of madness that vexed my face in that moment, but Roland saw it clear enough. His pleas for my cessation fell on ears that were deaf to all but the pounding, repeating thought in my head. No such thing should be allowed to live. Next, Roland sought to prevent my damaging the mech or myself by attempting to gain the torch. The struggle was great. The two of us scuffled and grabbed in a heroic attempt to frustrate the other from gaining advantage. In the end, my rage won out, and Roland found himself backed into the Mad Cat's damaged foot. No hesitation rebuffed my actions as I buried the tip of the plasma torch into Roland's chest, my free hand stifling his cries of pain. I watched the last vestiges of life seed from his eyes, and his body slumped to the floor, the parody of the crumpled mess in which I left Ares on the battlefield. A noise from the far side of the bay pulled me out of my rage. 
and I gazed across the distance to see my commander making her way to me. She was taking her time, talking with mech warriors and technicians alike, but I knew I had only a precious few seconds to act. Turning to Roland's body, I dropped the torch and hauled his corpse to the cockpit lift. Activating the lift, I rode up to the dreaded cockpit, bracing myself against the lifeless body of my only friend so as not to splatter his remains on the bay floor. Reaching the cockpit, I mustered my strength to shove Roland into the command chair. Returning to the bay floor, I collected the torch and returned it to its resting spot, just as my commander and her aide entered my section of the bay. She conveyed her pleasure that I was returned to active service, and I made do with small talk of an inane nature, all the while desperately nervous that the horror that transpired here only moments before would somehow be felt by my visitors, that in some preternatural way they would become aware of the death that had occurred by my hand. Only after several more minutes of excruciatingly mundane conversation did the commander turn to leave, and that is when I felt the uncontrollable urge to keep her just a while longer. I made a specific point to draw her attention to my new mad cat, thanking her for assigning me such a fine piece of war material, and I carried on at some great length extolling the virtues of the machine and its predecessor. Cursing myself for my unexplained need to keep her nearby longer, I found myself at the beginning of a goodbye when a blast of sound issued from the Mad Cat, a familiar sound that all mech warriors know by heart. All systems nominal. My eyes froze, fixed upon my commander as she turned back to me, a question upon her face. Her inquiry as to the activation status of my mech could only be met with my insistence that none of its systems were currently active. Target acquired. Unable to move, I could only watch with a disconnected fascination as the commander's aide rushed to the madcat, both of them fearing that an unauthorized person had somehow boarded my battle mech. As the aide ascended to the cockpit, I fell to my knees, unable to continue onward with any kind of pretense. I desperately wanted all of the alcohol in the world in order to drown out what was unfolding before me. The lift reached the summit of its track, and my ears registered a scream from on high. As the aide called down to the commander, conveying the horrific sight which she now beheld, the commander turned to me, her eyes ablaze with wonder and her own rage that, unlike mine, came from a righteous pursuit of justice. <sighs> I was undone. The whole of my wretchedness now lay bare for all to see, and all would see, without doubt, that my life and my legacy would amount only to murder, destruction, and wallowing in shame. To punctuate my realization, driving home the insidiousness of all that had transpired, one more horror did my monster visit upon me. The mad cat let out one last cry a triumphant declaration of its victory and of my demise. Target destroyed. The Black Mad Cat was written by D.G. Martin. Music by John Stedman. Produced and performed by George Ledoux and Voices in My Head Productions.
No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. You're listening to the Gamecasting Broadcast Network. Live from the outreach studios around the world, this is a No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. And now, your host, Phil, a.k.a. Sean Lang. Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy Podcast 124. My name is Phil, and I'm your host. Today is October 22nd, 2014, and I'm joined by Darren and today's co-host, Brandon and Tyler. What's going on, Darren? How are you? Hey, hey. I'm doing good. And uh, yeah, just looking at the new Intersphere Resistance Pack that just went up just seconds ago. King Crab, beautiful. So does Rebecca know that you're into mech porn as much as... Yeah, and I've tried to get her to, you know, watch it. But no. uh, it, it just doesn't work. Not her thing. Okay. Well, it happens. You got to have yeah. your things. What about you, yep. uh, Brennan? How are you doing? Uh, could be better. I just pretty much had to take my computer apart and put it together all over again in about 10 minutes or so. And then before that, I lost my power in the first ice storm of Canada for the year. Life, life could be better. It started already. I bet it's both happening. of you... I bet both of you could take apart and put your computers together again, like people do with guns. You know, real quick. You could both. Well, do I mean, it. it's the same principle. Like I can do that with my guns as well. So. All right. What about you, Tyler? What's going on in your life? I'm doing okay. Things are finally starting to cool down from the summer here in Arizona, uh, and Merrick Civil War is getting ready to kick off for the competitive community. Good time. All right. And speaking of matches, we've got a special guest today. We've had him on before. He's usually lurking. Sometimes he listens. We've got Carl Berg, and he is the senior systems engineer at Piranha Games. Unless that title has changed, is it like old man engineer now? Or yeah, yeah, that works too. Anyways, Carl, how are you doing? Not too bad. Thanks for asking. All right, so uh, we got a plethora of questions to ask you, and uh, this is actually going to cover a topic that uh, I feel there's a lot of misinformation out there about in matches or people will post stuff up on reddit or facebook and that is matchmaker elo elo variants group size all this stuff so we got some some questions for you and i want i want you to talk about them because well that's that's your expertise that's what you work on um so obviously this is hopefully going to clear up some people's misinformed misinformed um you know it's it's matchmaker myths we're the matchmaker mythbusters today is that is that what it is yes I'm, I'm, uh, you know, what's his name with the mustache? Jamie. Yes. That, that's cool. No, all right, you so, blow stuff up, right? Yes. No, you definitely blow stuff up. You blow so, you up at the end. All right, all Carl. Right. Um, obviously, ELO, um, what is it and how does it pertain to a player? Well, okay. Uh, ELO is basically a, a player skill rating system. Uh, it essentially, for any game that's played, ELO makes uh, predictions about who's going to win or lose that match. And based on how you do, uh, so in our case, the team, it adjusts every participant's skill rating, your ELO rating, uh, when the game completes. Uh, and because it's based on a prediction, it 
the amount that it adjusts your skill rating is based on the input conditions. So the way I like to think of it is the more you surprise the matchmaker, the more it's going to adjust your skill rating. It's basically how it works. Well, I was going to say, so it only changes if you were expected to lose and you win? Uh, even if you were expected to win and you win, it just doesn't change anywhere near as much. Okay, and then, um, so what is this magical number? If I'm a new player and I start the game, what is what is my elo, you know? It's it's really 1300, but we play trickery uh, to make the matchmaker think that you're actually a 900. Uh, and the reason for that is... Uh, I mean, we can run simulations, and uh, what'll, uh, what'll actually happen is uh, ELO effectively works like a zero-sum. Uh, and if you start introducing new players at a specific ELO rating level, uh, your entire population will shift so that the, the median matches that introductory level. Uh, so in order to keep new players intentionally lower than the average player in our game, we, we have to trick the matchmaker a little bit. But effectively, it works out that new players will match at 900 uh, for the first 25 to 50 games. And then, what would be like the the max, like Elo, if, if someone? I think <clears throat> we may have someone in this channel that uh, <clears throat> might be around there. Yeah, yeah, probably, maybe uh, I am. Yeah, it's definitely there. <laughs> at least a couple, it looks like. Yeah, uh, the very max is 2800, of course. All right, so how does this pertain to, obviously, the solo and group play? Because, um, again, I get a lot of, um, you know, oh, well, for instance, when uh, a few patches ago, uh, Tyler, uh, you can chime in here. I think you run into this. When you drop solo, you feel like you have to carry quite a bit, right? Like you may be matched up with teammates that aren't as high, so, or at the skill level you are, I, I think is the appropriate term. Oh, yeah, it's been my experience in solo. Yeah, a lot of times you have to put out amazing, fantastic games, game after game, or you're going to lose. Yeah, well, in Tyler's case, there there isn't anyone higher, right? So it can only match them against people that are the same rating or lower, by definition. So, but anyways, uh, both cues, so solo and group, use Elo the same way. Since it's a, a team-based game, uh, the way it works is we, we basically average all the players in a specific team to get their, their final team ELO estimate. Now this is this is a deviation from the original ELO algorithm itself since the original ELO algorithm is for solo players, one, one versus one. Uh, but it works pretty well. We've done a bunch of simulations. We've tried a bunch of other metrics for this. And team average surprisingly holds up very well against uh, anything else we've tried. So solo and group, they both basically work the same way but there's there is a big difference and that really comes down to the constraints within the two queues uh, the two queues have very different rules uh, in terms of how they can put teams together uh, just because when players group up there's there's whole new sets of constraints that that arise from that uh, and what that ends up doing is reducing the number of players the matchmaker can look at in group queue as compared to the solo queue so it's looking at a much smaller population, and that unfortunately has knock-ons to how well it can match ELO. So I'm assuming some of those restraints are for group would be the group size, and then on top of that, their ELO, right, combined, and then it would be what mechs they're taking, and then on top of that, what game modes they selected or deselected. Um, how much of a, I guess, pain in the ass is that, I guess, for the matchmaker? It can be a pretty big pain in the butt. Uh, so for solo queue right now, you're, you're absolutely right. There's basically, uh, as long as the player falls within certain weight class, tonnage, and game mode restrictions, pretty much anyone in the solo queue is a match. 
uh, group queue because we add the, the different sizes of groups. Uh, as soon as you add, you know, varying group sizes together with threes and you know weight class matching, it, it really turns into uh, the way I like to think of it as a game of Tetris. So the matchmaker is basically playing Tetris with all these groups, trying to figure out how to put them all together in such a way that'll satisfy all the constraints on it. I can I can go through a specific example actually. Like if you just think of the the group size of nine. <clears throat> Since we need to produce a group of 12, there's exactly one size of group that can be matched with a group of 9 to form 12, and that's a 3. So that that's okay. Uh, on top of that, you know, we also have the the maximum limit of weight class count, so three, the threes rule, 3-3-3-3. That has a release valve that says we'll never put more than four of one weight class into a team, even for group Q now. Uh, they pulled that down for group Q as well. So now immediately, if your group of nine had three heavies and three assaults, you're only able to look at groups of three that have at most one heavy or one assault, right? Any other group of three is invalid by definition. Now if your group of nine selected skirmish only, again, you're looking at groups of threes with at most one heavy and one assault that are compatible with skirmish. Or, you know, even if uh, the other team is completely formed, so it's a group of nine that you're putting up against a full 12 man, for example, that Group of three must have exact, like an exact set of weight classes now. There's no flexibility in it whatsoever. So it really rapidly constrains the number of groups that the matchmaker is able to look at, and that reduces the population pool that it can, can match with, and that obviously reduces the its ability to, to do a fair job matching up ELO. So it's, it's a bit unfortunate. It's something we're trying to find ways to resolve, for sure. So obviously you guys uh, implemented that uh, you know matchmaker patch uh, two patches ago, and then it got reverted back. This was to actually sort of help. I mean, was it not, not to, I know I went on a rant uh, on that, but the, the reason I bring this up is um, if that, that player pool shrinks or um, that there's, how do I put this, not enough restrictions, is there a way around what you guys reverted back to? I mean, how does that uh, help the system? A way around the game mode voting? Yeah, like obviously some people don't want to play Conquest or they don't want to play Skirmish or something like that. Um, you know, is there anything that you've done since then to try to sort of alleviate now that that's, you know, back in? Um, there's there's only so much we can do. Uh, I'm sort of hinting that maybe Rush should look at uh, turning instead of, a, instead of a strict weight class, uh, sorry, not weight class, strict game mode, uh, queue system, this weird thing we've got right now. Instead of being able to say, I, I only want to play these game modes, maybe saying I can veto at most one game mode. Uh, and there, there's a good reason for that, actually. We're really constrained now in our ability to add any new game mode to public queue. It, it basically it prevents us from ever adding a new game mode to public queue without further harming match quality. So I think it's going to come to a head sooner or later. We'll have to do something about this, but until we get there, I guess. Carl, I have a question about that uh, whole game mode voting thing and it and it being retracted and so forth. Um, I know it was in the, it was live for a very limited amount of time, and some of the people like uh, Tyler here, who didn't like particular, I think Tyler, what was it, assault, um, a certain game mode, and he got it like well over fifty percent of the time, um, even though you know it was one he voted against or whatever. So what, what I'm wondering, and my question is, was there more tweaking? that could have been done to that whole system to see if it satisfied people so that people that 
you know, we're like, I, I don't mind getting assault, but I don't want to get it more than 50% of the time if that's the one I'm voting that I don't want to play. Was there more tweaking that could have happened? Could we have seen different results? That's uh, possible. We could potentially do something like that. Of course, <clears throat> implementing something like that is, is far, far more complex than the very sort of simple implementation we put into place for for the last time we attempted to remove uh, strict, uh, strict game mode selection. Right. So, I mean, yeah, the, the answer is yes, but it would be significantly more complex. Gotcha. Yeah, Carl, you have any insight into how that was working? Because I, the general consensus I got was, and from people on forum posts that people linked me and on Reddit and stuff, people were raging that they were constantly getting conquest, even though they weren't queued for conquest. But it was different for like me and Adwala and a few other people at the high or low ranges. We were trying to not get assault. We weren't having that assault box checked. It was just giving us assault more than half the time. I don't know why it was giving most people conquest all the time and then us assault all the time against our will. Do you have any insight as to why that was? Well, the matchmaker didn't really care about your vote until the match was formed. <clears throat> that's how it That's how it worked. So, I mean, that specific anecdotal case, that would be really hard without me going and actually looking at all the roles that it did to determine your game mode. Uh, but otherwise, it is like I, I stepped through that code manually, line by line, several times just to verify everything was working. And all it did was basically it, it biased, right? So if a lot of people were voting for assault, it would be far more likely to roll an assault. And that's that's how it worked. So we're looking at multi layers here because I mean, just just think about this. And you know, let's just say you have thousands upon thousands of people dropping at any moment in time, right? You have individuals, you have groups, you have groups of different, you know, sizes, two through, you know, 12 men. And like you said, sometimes you have to have, a, you know, a nine and a three. That th that nine man may have to wait around for a three to before it can drop. And then on top of that, um, you've got the different, uh, you know, mechs being chosen. You have, uh, let's see, then you have different Evo brackets, I'm assuming. So... I guess this sort of leads into, um, you know, a few things is with the current, you know, system, a lot of the times uh, you'll see, t you know, 12 stomps or, for instance, uh, you may see a team you drop against and uh, some of those people are like, why are we dropping against, you know, SJR? Why are we dropping against Lords? Why are we, you know, uh, we can't be this good and blah, blah, blah. Can you talk a little bit about the variance and how it impacts gameplay and what is variance uh, first off? Okay. Uh, well, we don't track variance anymore directly. We track um, a very related metric called the standard deviation, uh, and as well as the statistical range. So uh, ideally, we want the standard deviation to be as low as it can be. Uh, for those of you that don't know, standard deviation is it's a statistical measure. Uh, it's the square root of the sum of squares from the mean, something like that. Uh, and it, it basically tells you how far apart uh, what the distribution of ELOs is like within a, a specific team. So we want that to be very small. Uh, ideally, I'd, I'd like to see a value 100 or less for any team in the game. Uh, there's a few consequences of that. Like one, it means that everyone playing together is, is roughly at the same skill, which is good. Uh, and there's another I'll talk about just in just a bit here. So solo queue is actually in a really good place already. Uh, the standard deviations are actually quite small for almost all games. The edge cases, unfortunately, again, the competitive players, those guys come in at a 2800 ELO. That forces the matchmaker to look for 
a lot larger. Its ranges are much larger uh, in order to produce a full 24-person game. That naturally results in a larger standard deviation. Uh, so it's really hard for us to uh, get the competitive players to the same quality level that the the average case is because the average guys are by definition average. There's a lot more of them. Uh, with group queue, however, it's it's a whole other story, right? There, there could be a ton of improvement made to group queue, in my opinion, still. Uh, it'll never be possible to get a group queue down to solo queue type levels uh, since the grouping is partially player controlled. They, they're determining some of the players that must be matched together. Uh, so for example, like in a, in a standard 12-man team, the matchmaker has zero say in the standard deviation of that team, right? Uh, now, kind of interestingly, somewhat ironically, I guess, it, it does appear that the closer, the smaller the variance is for a team, the standard deviation, the more likely it is for that game to end in a stomp. Uh, I haven't done any solid correlation here. We've been so busy burning on Community Warfare stuff, I haven't had a chance to really follow up with that. But just anecdotally, it does really seem that this, the tighter we get that standard deviation, the more stompy games become as a result, which is interesting since people look at stomps as being a, a measure of bad matchmaking. It's an interesting result. We've actually talked about that, um, being that uh, I think actually the last time we, on this topic I said it would be interesting to see is the closer you are to skill level, uh, exactly what you were just talking about, is do you see more of a tight, tight, close game? And I said, I don't think so, because when you look at even, um, you know, high ELO play and you look at two groups, one mistake, right? And boom, 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 boom. It's, you know, the, the team's out. Um, and it, I think that you have to have a mixture of different level, you know, uh, Tyler, remember when that uh, solo queue change and matches i mean almost every single match was like 8 12 9 12 right but there was a lot of mistakes on you know both sides right with different lower skill players and stuff like that and i felt like that was that was what was going on was uh is there a correlation to a good match is actually a mixture of elo and a 12-0 is gonna result anyways so i guess i guess we have the answer there or at least somewhat well, of an answer somewhat of an answer like again i haven't actually had time to solidly data mine this and, and produce any sort of a confidence interval on that, but the closer we do get to very small uh, variances, uh, standard deviations on teams, it, it really does seem like the number of 12 zeros increases. So um, I have a question, and this is in regards to uh, what you're basically saying is, you guys implemented a change that, uh, you know, a while back and then it was reverted, but that change was to basically say, if there's a 12 men out there, and it's a perfect match against another 12 man, let's just say X, that, uh, you know, it'll match those two, even though I picked Assault and they, they you know, or they deselected Assault and we de deselected Conquest. Now, obviously, that was reverted. Is that more of a group size issue? Like, is that... I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what is the perfect scenario here? Because it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to win. And you did say that uh, group... Uh, you, you guys can't implement another game mode without really causing a stir. So I, I've been of the mind, I feel like what, and this is my personal opinion, I almost feel like Pandora's box was open when four plus man groups came out. When you're able to take a, a, a five, six, seven, all the way up to a 12 man group, and you try to balance that, it, it just seems like it's it's almost impossible. You, you can't you can't do it. Uh, well, uh... For, so basically, the different team sizes? 
Uh, we, we tried to do... Well, we did, actually. We, we put in a system based on helo handicaps, uh, essentially. And the way that's implemented is it's basically... It's a statistical bias based on, on percentage chance of winning for larger groups, right? Uh, ideally, we would do something more like tracking a specific ELO for every unique group of players. That would be probably more correct than this, but the memory performance and just like just converging that large number of values would make this not feasible pretty fast. So instead, we've done this, this group size handicap. Uh, and the handicaps we have in production right now were data mined from millions of matches, millions of production games. Uh, so we've got some really high confidence intervals for those numbers. Uh, and the way that worked is basically what we did was we looked at all those old games from the previous matchmaker, the one that mixed solo players with groups, and said, okay, out of those, let's find every single game where there was exactly one group of team, uh, a group of two on one team against completely solo players on the other team. And now you just look at the percentage of times that the group of two won, and you'll come up with a number. Uh, was I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. It was something like 52.5% of the time the group of two ended up winning. Uh, and you can actually calculate the the error margin and the confidence interval, and it was something like um, plus or minus half a percent at a 99% confidence interval. So it was really quite accurate. Uh, and then you do the same thing for groups of threes, and you do the same thing for groups of fours. Uh, and then you stop because the old matchmaker didn't produce groups of fives. So I had to uh, curve it from there. But otherwise, uh, the really interesting result there is that that actually that produces a percentage bias for larger groups to win. That actually is the same thing as ELO. Uh, you can say for any given ELO delta, that corresponds to a percentage chance of winning. So we can actually feed this back in. That's where the ELO handicaps come from. There's a direct one-to-one -one mapping of ELO modifiers to percentage chance of winning. And that's what we were putting into the group size handicaps. Uh, so that also had a somewhat welcome consequence. Wasn't entirely unintended, but it, it basically further separates out uh, players based on group size. So groups of 12 really are much more likely to match only against very large groups, just because the ELOs are pushed apart much farther than they would normally be. So that's a that's a good change. Like I, I get that. Um, my thing with this, and Darren, tell me if I'm just beating a dead horse here, is the fact of you know, Shimmering Sword was just making a point in chat, uh, was saying that you know a four a four man group has a pretty big sway as far as those top teams, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But I would say that four man uh, four man group doesn't have a hundred percent success. You know, like if they were to drop, the, you know, matchmaker isn't saying yes, you're going to win just because the four of you, but you're the matchmaker right now is letting eight to 12 man groups drop and there's nobody else out there to beat them. So, and, and I've had this discussion, I think actually last Wednesday um, when I was streaming uh, with a group of players that what other game that we know of and Taryn, I don't know of any other game of a free yeah, title I mean, that it's... allows a, hold on, that allows a competitive team, right? Whether or not they're joking around or they're dropping in builds that are serious to basically raffle stomp <laughs> nonstop uh, over and over and over again. I, I feel like this goes back to the implementation of four plus man groups. I, I, I just, I almost feel like community warfare is coming down the road. Okay, cool. You allow four, 12 man groups in there. It doesn't matter. You take whatever, do whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like in a public drop, it seems like matchmaker is just, you're trying to, you know, match and, and have this balanced match, but the reality is you you can't with that these bigger groups. It's just it's not possible. 
And it, it favors basically a 12 man. It basically, the, the group queue right now basically says, okay, well, you can't beat them. Either get more people on your team so you have more control over the match. And then you run into, like, with Tyler, you know, we've talked about it with SJR and Lords and all the other comp teams. If they're rolling around, unless you run into another comp team, you're going to be steamrolling people. Yep. I mean, it's obvious that the more numbers you bring in a group, the more influence they're going to have. So, if, uh, you know, six is going to have more influence than four, eight, is, you know, so on and so on. I think uh, absolutely you and I, Phil, and, and maybe Tyler and some other people here would love to see it go back to four mans as the limit um, because it just means less influence, less rolling. Um, and maybe even some of the larger groups would like to see that. Um, I don't know. But you're right. There aren't any other games that do this other than a separate queue. You know, basically a group's queue, which when we had that was hardly ever used. It was used by some, but it was hardly ever used. But that's the only difference. Most free-to-play games along this the lines of, you know, what MWO is has a group limit of uh, three even, you know, if, if not four. Well, would yeah. it be, just speaking up here, would it be... Um better than to say maybe to make the group queue um down to four to 12 and then just leave four locked in at four well i I still don't think that solves what we're ultimately talking about here is we're talking that large groups have a huge sway over the outcome and not just you got to break it down too is the players involved the mechs they take and you know for the most part if you take um, you know, three assaults and, and three heavies or uh, three assaults and a heavy. I mean, these are the type of things that you're getting so much. And this is what I was arguing last time on the podcast, which was we get everything. I, I take a four-man group. I can take, take three direwolves and a Timberwolf. Like, and I can also pick what game modes I want. And, you know, that to me, it's just there's so much. And then Matchmaker basically has to piece this together. So what we're talking about is the fact of four-plus-man groups, are they... is is it even possible to ever balance? And I, I just, I don't see it happening um, at all. Like, unless there's just a huge, huge amount of high end or, or 12 mans rolling around, just a nonstop 12 mans only fight 12 mans. But that's not even the issue either, because what about eight mans? What about eight SJR or Lords? That still has huge sway. And then before, where they were actually getting pitted against each other, which was, in my opinion, a great thing, um, now they can all just group up. You know, we can all right now all hop on a, a group and just, you know, st- you know, steamroll teams all night. Is that? Is yeah, that- I mean, there seems to be an argument out there that the comp teams don't want this because then they can't practice, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really think I understand that argument because there's, you know, private rooms and you can just drop against your own unit or other units to scrimmage or whatever. Um, but anyway, I mean, I understand that there's some people that really want 12 because when we, when the, you know, when it was implemented or before it was implemented, people said, well, what if I have five friends? I can't play with all five friends, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But even um, if you try to do like a four by one implementation with the groups, it still doesn't solve anything because a 12 man can still take anything yeah, they want. But this, this horse is, com- it's a bloody pulp. But yes, I agree. Well, we're talking about matchmaker and, but this leads me into our next discussion topic. And that's why I was asking Carl is what is the perfect you know scenario for matchmaker in your mind uh what does it look like and is does is that there remove? even a perfect yeah it does it does that remove player choice or well i mean from the matchmaker's perspective uh, the ideal situation here like just throwing out all the design would be no groups of any size whatsoever no game modes no weight class restrictions no threes the only thing it would do is basically match players by skill that's that's the perfect situation it could have right 
that's that's clearly not acceptable, both from the end user standpoint. You guys want control. You guys want to be able to groove up. Uh, and design too, because they they want their constraints. They want things like threes. They want the larger group sizes for, you know, for casual player experience. So we we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> this is well, why Matchmaker is complained about in every single game, because Perfect Matchmaker takes away all player choice, and we don't want that. We want all the choice, but we also want perfect matches. Come on, Carl. Yeah, yeah. So realistically, some of the changes we could make. Uh, or I think Phil touched on a little bit. So limiting weight class counts by group size would be a very good one, I think. I haven't had a chance to actually run those metrics in detail, but the preliminary preliminary uh, simulations look really good. Tighten up the sets of group sizes that we work with. Basically, anything that would reduce the number of potential Tetris pieces the matchmaker would have to look at would logically result in an improvement to match quality. Uh, but now... It's it's all about trade-offs, right? We're either going to lose from the design side, we're going to lose from the player choice side to improve the matchmaker. So that's a, those are hard questions, and we'll have to consider them very carefully before we make another change. I, I do have a question about ELO. Um, is that per weight class or per mech? It is per weight class currently. So have you guys ever thought about doing that on a per mech and variant basis? And the reason I bring this up is a Stormcrow is not equal to a Cicada and or a Blackjack. Um, and the game treats it as such, right? If I have a really high ELO in my mediums, it doesn't matter what medium or what I take on my mediums, it expects me to perform at that top level. Um, is that something that's ever been talked about? We could look into doing it. Uh, the basic simulations we've done so far show that that would actually be a much slower convergence so it would uh, unless you tend to play one type of mech very frequently which a lot of players do uh, but the average ones don't tend to they, they'll jump around between their trial mechs right uh, their elos just will be less accurate so the predictions end up coming out worse so it's something that would have to be done quite carefully uh, but it, it would be possible there's no technical reason we couldn't do that well, see, I'm, I'm torn here because I think we have talked about this subject of, of group size, but it would be interesting hearing Paul or Russ's you know, point on, uh, Darren, you said this exactly earlier. You said some people are enjoying it and want to play with five-man groups, right? They, they love that about the game. They hated it when it went out, and they're happy that it's back. But from the gameplay and balance standpoint, is it acceptable for large groups to basically go nonstop, you know, no competition really, and just, you know, see Bill Farm all night long. And basically, yeah, you may only run into him every once in a while, but you got to think every single match they run into that there's no chance. I mean, Tyler, what are your thoughts on this? And I bring you up just because you are part of a, a highly skilled team. And this does happen to you guys where you basically go nonstop winning, you know, all night. Yeah, it can, it can go that way pretty much all night. Every once in a while, the matchmaker kicks us out a good game where it's where we do lose a bunch of mechs. Or we, actually, you know what, come to think of it, it's probably more we make a terrible mistake and that's when we lose mechs. But most games are stopped. But on the other hand, uh, we talked earlier about putting together a group of uh, really high ELO players. So if you have like four 2,800 ELO players in the game, it it more often it seems than not matches us up if there's a 12-man group out there with that 12-man group because their elo is inflated by having a 12-man group and then our elo is just naturally high those actually tend to make fairly good games when you fight against 
when a small group of high ELO players fight against a 12-man team, those turn out pretty good because fighting against their coordination with your superior skill or whatever is it actually makes for a fun game for me anyways you know sorry phil you brought up earlier give and take and obviously you mostly were talking about players but uh queen blade brought up a a decent point which is that if we want to take 12 mans away from the group queue or the public queue um then maybe pgi should consider giving a little bit as far as taking away the premium cost of doing those private matches so that they can you, you know practice more or whatever and not be so bummed out about losing 12 mans or five plus in in the group in the public matches i don't know just something to consider but i can understand that that cost barrier being a barrier to that happening for some people well i, I feel like again i think having a group size is great you know, I'm not going to argue and, and, and say that uh, no one enjoys it. Yeah, it's cool to be able to hop in a five-man, six-man. But should any team be able to take 12 people, what would happen if they just limit it to say, you know, hey, we are going to reduce group size from two to eight-man. And at max, you can only have eight. Now, someone could argue, well, Phil, still eight, you know, SGR is still going to roll. I would say, yeah, probably for the most part. But that definitely reduces the amount of people in their group down to eight. And it's still giving more than four. So I feel like there there's something there because you don't want to just take large groups away, per se, right? And how the game is right now uh, with Matchmaker is, again, we can take whatever we want as far as mechs and weight class, you know, as far as threes, but that doesn't solve anything for a 12-man because a 12-man, even if you did a 4 by one the 12-man, it doesn't matter because they still have a huge influence. So I feel like it's just a very important discussion to have you know, as far as, you know, we had that revert of the, you know, patch that I was experiencing great matches with, and it was really frustrating from a player standpoint to have that, you know, like, taken away, but uh, it is what it is. You know, Carl, we know that, uh, you know, you, you guys are always working on it, and it's always nice to actually hear behind the scenes how it works, and I just want to say thank you again for clearing up, because I see a lot of misinformation. They're like, oh, you know, ELO this or ELO that, and I feel like a lot of people also blame Matchmaker for their own mistakes or team mistakes tyler you just said this you said actually i think it was probably our mistakes that cost us the mechs obviously it's an easy scapegoat to say oh matchmaker you suck why did you do this to us now there are some times that that does happen but um every single decision we make uh you know when we drop affects the outcome of that match that or lag or hit detection or something <clears throat> but yeah it definitely was awesome to have you car- here carl and talk about this we would love to have you back again soon to talk about matchmaking perhaps with community warfare i know you can't talk about it today <laughs> yeah well that's an easy one we just yeah we don't spill the beans don't, don't really matchmake for community warfare it's as uh as the designers like to call it hardcore mode so Holy. well we'll we'll definitely have to talk about that yep all right so i think carl's gonna stick around a patch of this past week or i should say yesterday a few things. Um, I think this is actually a great patch. Uh, I think it surprised a lot of people. I think the past few patches, ever since those whole IGP debacles went down, uh, you know, everything, yeah, I, yes, thank God. Um, we got two new mechs, Atlas S and the Centurion 9H. Now, the, the 9H, 8H, 8H, the thing, the scent and the thing, that's actually an old mech uh, that was in uh, closed beta. It came out... Uh, I like the mech. It's definitely ammo dependent. The S, 
I just don't like atlases, but I heard it's really awesome. Um, from a competitive standpoint, what do you guys think about this? Is it going to replace the uh, the DDC, or just having that ECM sort of outweighs that uh, extra missile? The ECM totally outweighs the extra missile. There's no doubt about it. The the 7S, though, is still really good in pugs. Um, I've been having a blast with it. So, But I don't think it's going to replace the uh, DDC as far as comp goes. Well, I may have to disagree there, because if you don't need the ECM, the new, the S, is going to be better. And there's a new league starting up here again, Merrick Civil War, where one of the very common uh, restrictions is no ECM allowed. So in a match like that, the S will see far more play than the DDC, because it just flat out has better hard points, makes more use of that 100 tons. So I think the S is going to see plenty of playtime. Speaking of the Merrick Civil War... Plug it. Is that uh, are they still taking signups or is that just going to be under? Oh no, they just finished. Uh, are they taking signups for the beginning, Yeager, or are they? Um, no, okay, no, I didn't think confirmed. So. No, I think right. they just finished the trial of position. Yeah, we just finished trial of position. Cool. So everybody should uh, keep an eye out for the matches going on. You know what I like too about uh, patches like this is the queue goes crazy. The amount of S's and uh, centurions I saw was ridiculous. Actually, I saw more inner sphere mechs then i did clans you know yesterday which was awesome and obviously most of the people were brawling that the centurion it sort of gravitates towards that and i almost feel like the uh ah is one of those mechs where if you want to do just strictly srms the 9a is better because you can take three srms with artemis and two medium lasers which is a more effective than you know three machine guns um so anyways ac20 on it i really do enjoy it i like the arm geometry changes and it's funny because I saw a uh, video someone made over at uh, Reddit that was like... Jean-Luc no, Picard? Yeah, it was like, <laughs> change it back, change it, no, why? And I was that like... Was hilarious. So he- here's, here's, this is, I'm going to nerd out really quick. The actual size of that AC-20 is actually appropriate. Guys, it's... It's an optical me- illusion. It's an optical illusion. If you placed a 120, that's that's the correct size. Now... That all being said, Dennis did pipe in and he said, look, we standardized the actual geometry, but one of the issues is it looks smaller, but it's, maybe that's what she said, but either or, um, I I like it. I mean, literally, an an AC-20 is not the size of a freaking, you know, Golf GTI. It's not, like, that's not, (laughs) it's not shooting a, I don't know, ballistic warhead out of its barrel it's a you know anyways so i like the geometry fixes also they uh they up the uh, size of the left arm uh shield on the uh, ah which i really like the things i didn't like about the centurion i will say is uh the missiles look cool on some of it but then it's just flat on other parts i felt like the lrms look really cool the srms look weird on it is that just me just me? No, no, me. Just me? No, mm-hmm. no one else? On the age. I guess it looks okay. I'm um, kind of sad that this mech didn't come into the game, I don't know, like a year ago. This thing would have been absolutely brutal before the 55-ton mechs came in. But now it's uh, kind of just redundant. We already have the, the flying wolverine with uh, ballistic hard points in its left arm, so... Uh, that mech is unfortunately just better, but this is—it is a good mech. It's probably the best of the Centurions. What? Yup. You think it's better than the Yen Lo? 
Oh yeah, it's got mi missile and AC twenty equals way more damage than AC twenty and a couple medium lasers. Brutal. And then speaking of which, um, we have on the patch as well. We had the huge reward that was system that was implemented. Um, I think it's awesome. And now I'm going to say this and let you guys chime in here. This is what I think uh, needs to happen with this rewards. I think the feedback has been that a lot of people weren't getting as much. Sometimes they were getting more. We've already had a tweet by Rust. Uh, I think a hotfix just went in that uh, up some values. So you should see a little bit more XP and C build. Now, I think this system is awesome and I want to see it continued. And what I want to see is... Um, and I think there's one large lacking factor right now, this role warfare and being uh, rewarded for that, is that it doesn't reward you tanking, you, you sustaining damage for your team and soaking that damage up. It doesn't reward that at all. And I feel like if that's touched on a little bit, and of course it's just expanded, you know, the more role warfare, uh, whether it's niche or stuff like that, it's amazing. And I think this is how it could, should continue. But as far as the, the one thing I've noticed a lot of assault pilots, atlases were saying they weren't making a whole lot was because they weren't doing a whole lot of damage and they weren't performing the roles that their you know, this new system implemented uh, was given out, but they were tanking a ton of damage. And if they didn't, their team would have lost. So I feel like that's one of the key things, just sort of rewarding that other role, which is sometimes you just have to soak up and be a bullet sponge, you know, steel wall in world of tanks. So I think there is a place for that. And yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, especially, you know, a lot of times Atlases start pushing in, they're going to take the damage, and then, you know, they don't get rewarded. That sort of sucks for them, right? So, but that being said, there's already a hotfix, I think, uh, Carl. Is that going live, like, soon? Or yeah, is that, no, tomorrow. Talk about a hotfix coming out maybe around Friday for the okay. rewards. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to be adjusted. So, you know, some people were saying they're actually making a ton more, and some people were saying they weren't making as much. But uh, I, I feel like the rewards, just like the um, little UI implementation you guys did last time with the rewards being on the screen, it's awesome. It was unexpected, sort of hit us, you know, with the left, and I think the community loves that type of stuff. They also liked, uh, and I don't have this on the notes, but, well, we do, various uh, UI tuning and bug fixes. I think one of the biggest things is this, it's being mentioned in the, the patch notes, can't stress how important it is for players to see oh you know that uh, hpg that those columns got fixed or you know on crimson straight this got fixed uh, as far Absolutely, as like the geometry if you don't think it's fixed you may not even take those shots you know and they could be fixed for six months before somebody says oh no they fixed that you know yeah i agree well tell us what you do you know and it's just the fact of oh it's just another thing you know you can say you've been doing you know and it's there and you we have proof because it's in the patch notes and we went and tested and all that. Anyways, I think it's awesome. Um, one of the other things I just want to touch on was the quirk revision that Russ posted. So they originally posted up uh, examples, 13 examples of, you know, from Hunchback 4Gs to Atlas to Loki, you know, all that. Um, yes, I said Loki. Um, and basically it took like the Hunchback 4G example took the 25% bonus it got to the AC20 and it split that in half and said 12 and a half to the AC20, 12 and a half to uh, a general ballistic so whatever weapon ballistic weapon you put on it'll get a 12 and a half but if you put an ac20 gets the 12 and a half from the ac20 and 12 and a half so or go back to 25 percent. i thought this was a great compromise i think it still achieves what it was supposed to do which is basically enhance max but it gives a little bit more freedom to player choice and i get that 
Um, I, you know, do I think it was needed? I don't think it was needed, but hey, if it makes everyone feel better and they can take a weapon and they get a little bit of bonus, why not? And if it still achieves the same thing. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? Like it? Don't like it? Meh? Personally, I like the um, quirk system. Uh, I like the revision a little bit, a little bit more than the original as well. I think it's okay. I, I I think that Russ had a good argument in that saying, for instance, the Hunchback 4G. Uh, it's The reason it's a, a Tier 5 mech is because its weapons aren't good, but if they make it really good at the AC-20, then it will bring up its tier. But then people say, well, why can't I do that on the Hunchback 4H? And then, so if they gave the AC-20 quirks to both the Hunchback 4G and the Hunchback 4H, the Hunchback 4H would still be better, and therefore... The, the Hunchback 4G would still be a, a crap tier mech. So making it good at that one weapon system is what would be bringing it up. People would think when they, asso- they would associate AC-20 with a Hunchback 4G. But making them more general is okay as well. Let's people do what they want. Yeah, I think ultimately it was a happy medium. I personally, and I understand that this is a personal thing for everybody. Everybody's reasoning one end of the spectrum to the other is personal. Uh, personally, I like the more uniqueness, um, the more role specific. So, you know, 4G, AC20 makes sense to me. Um, but anyway, I, I think that the decision was good as far as um, essentially marketing and pacifying the, the highest number of people. Um, so, well, it still it still achieves what the ultimate goal was, yes. right? Gives the same percentage. It just allows, you know, hey, if you want to take an AC-10, you're going to get a slight bonus, right? And this is lore-based, by the way. Um, I, I saw a comment um, about, oh, this is a Battletech at all. And I was like, uh, no, this is more Battletech lore than anything before. Like, there's no reason uh, on in the tabletop that translation of the Hunchback to MWO it doesn't have a hunch it doesn't have a gigantic shoot me here sign right it's randomized locations all that well now you actually you're giving the hunchback a purpose right it's manufactured a different way it's got a you know extended bore it's got a firing mechanism it's got you know dense armor or slanted armor it actually giving a lot of these mechs a battle tech lore purpose which i think is awesome um another thing i like about the quirks um is the fact that it's really going to help new players Think about this just for a second. Instead of all of us vets looking at it of, you know, how, what we can do, it. imagine a new player coming in and seeing and, you know, saying, hey, what should I do with this hunchback, right? It sort of helps guide them and say, take these type of ballistic weapons or this ballistic weapon and you're going to perform or possibly perform better. And I think it's a really good thing um, with it. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think this, there's there's out there in the community, there's hardcore lore-based people like you know myself and you that love to see uh, these mechs used for their purpose, lore-based wise or whatever. Um, but then there's also the hardcore uh, you know custom kings out there that just want everything to be fully customizable however they want. I understand that, but uh, yeah, it's just a difference of opinion. Well, I mean, you know, Queen Blade was saying, you know, he would like weapons. Um, I think it's a it's a good on paper idea. But the thing with it is, is look at the current system of mechs. The reason the Shadowhawk Griffin and Wolverine are better than all the other sub ones below is because of customization and player choice. It's basically saying these can do everything the lower weight classes can do, but they can do it with more armor, the same speed, if not higher, and bigger weapon systems. So that's where I feel like this quirk sort of comes in and it basically says, 
hey, we recognize that this is how players use our game and how players use the mechs. So we're going to counter that and enhance these mechs using this system, right? This this, uh, And that's another thing I just want to point out, too, is it feels like uh, it's nice actually having, uh, Russ mentioned, a rubric. There's a reason why some of these mechs are getting X amount of quirks and why. Whereas I felt like before, mech quirks were just randomly slapped slapped on like the dragon heat generation quirk i never understood that you know stuff like that so i'm glad this is in system but uh anyways i'm really super excited for the quirk revision i think that's slated for november 4th so next patch first patch of uh november i think <clears throat> carl <clears throat> the quirks yep november 4th <laughs> he's like no no they're not happening no. sorry uh, yeah i'm sort of working <laughs> in the background <laughs> All right, we also have confirmation on the Swamp map. Do we have a... Is there a picture released of this other than a while back? No. Negative. They might see that on the next vlog video. Wink, wink. Oh, they're going to see something for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even... No, not going to spoil it for you. All right, so some quick mentions. I'm going to go through this. Um, we've got the Black Mad Cat Battletech Halloween audio story by George of the Dew. Make sure to listen to this. It's flipping awesome. He did one last year, and uh, it was the, uh, the the Edgar Allan Poe sort of version. Raven. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Raven. So anyways, make sure to check this out. We'll get the, the link, uh, Darren, if you want to drop that link off. Uh, we also have the primary objective sale. The only reason I brought this up was because the players actually had an influence in the outcome of the pricing of the Stormcrone Shadowhawk. I liked this. I I don't know. I mean, you didn't have to opt in. You played like normal, but it incentivized certain gameplay to help the score. Uh, 45% off the Stormcrow. I think it was cool. So I think a lot of people actually shelled out MC to buy the Stormcrows. I've seen a lot of those. I think uh, if if more events like this came down in the future, I would definitely be on board. I think this is probably the perfect example of a really good event. Yeah, without IGP there, I think we're going to be seeing more things like this. This is pretty awesome and generous. I was not expecting this. Medium Q is all sorts of messed up right now. Matchmaker is <laughs> not not too happy with that. I was just going to say, I think I saw uh, the heavy Q, the lowest I've ever seen it today. Dude. It was down to like 8%. I yeah. saw. <laughs> Never see that. Pretty ridiculous right now. Um, on a side note, Carl, do you see that actually happen quite a bit? Because I've noticed that a new mech comes out if the assault, assaults are through the roof, or like Timberwolves came out and Timberwolves and Mad Dogs. And I'm trying really hard not to think about the Timberwolf Seabill release. <laughs> yep. Oh, God. Ginger. All right, so uh, we also have the second annual MWO Halloween art contest. We've got a link for that. Uh, reason I bring this up is first place gets like 10,000 MC. Uh, it's like uh, 56 bucks worth, 60 bucks or something like that. So there's there's different. There's like fifth, first through fifth and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, we also have this Saturday uh, Gimpy's charity stream for the kids. It's Saturday, October 25th. It's a 24-hour stream. He did this last year as well. And it's over at twitch.tv slash gimpy21. And it's for the Children's Miracle Network. Show up, donate, be awesome, help support him. I will be doing as actually, I won't be. I won't be here. But Darren will be, and we're going to be supporting it. So Definitely. 
Um, to point out the NGNG store, by the way, guys, uh, for those that are in the U.S., you should be getting your Marauder or Hex shirts, like, today. Uh, make sure to check your mail, packages, all that fun stuff. Um, and that being said, the Marauder and Hex shirt are inventoried. I also updated the uh, Battlemaster and Centurion shirts as well. Just double-check that uh, our store didn't have any errors. But those are in stock. Now, the only reason I bring this up is I had someone ask me a few days in a row, hey, when are the Battlemasters going to be redone? I cannot stress, when you see a pre-order and you want that shirt, do it. That way you're guaranteed your shirt and your size because they literally go out very, very quickly. So make sure to get that in. So anyways, if you like Marauder 2014 shirt, head over to our store, check that out. Um, I will hint again, we have a brand new t-shirt design being worked on by an artist. And the hint I gave you last time is clans. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to leave that out there. So we have a clan t-shirt coming. Our, our very first like. clan t-shirt. And I, yeah, it is going to be awesome. I can't wait. All right. It's not going to be awesome. It's going to be clan. Is that artist here now? Actually, no, Shimmy is not doing this one. Yeah, but he is responsible for the ones that we're selling right now. Yeah, even though I did talk to him, he knows the artist. Uh, We've got short painter Rudy, the guy who does our comics, that artist. He's working on them, so super excited. And uh, as soon as we can, we'll post up details and uh, get those for you guys. Anyways, I just want to say a big thank you to our community, our listeners, new and old, our amazing staff, and our sponsors. Thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Um, quick shout out to a certain individual who uh, got me a boom arm mic and shock mount for my Yeti. Thank you so much. Um, and of course, I just want to say, uh, you know, quick plug in for our streamers. Make sure to head over to our forums. We've got a streamer section. They've got stuff like their donation links. They have, uh, you know, wish lists and stuff. Help support them, whether directly donating or maybe just grab something off their uh, their wish list or something like that. Those guys put in a ton of hours, and it's always great uh, getting something like this uh, to support, like the podcast and stuff. So, anyway, shout out to that individual. You know who you are. Thank you so much. This was your local No Guts, No Galaxy MechWar podcast signing off for tonight. This is Phil. And this is Darren. This is Brandon, also known as Catcher Kill. This is Tyler. This is Carl. Until next time, Mech Warriors. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube at No Guts, No Galaxy TV, on Twitch at NGNG TV, on Facebook at No Guts, No Galaxy Podcast, on Twitter at No Guts, No Galaxy, on iTunes at No Guts, No Galaxy, or via your favorite podcatcher with the RSS feed at feeds.feedburner.com forward slash NGNG. It'd be best if you avoid me But I know you probably can't You sense something is wrong with me You can feel it on my skin But there is more with Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever disconnected from